We're going to hear from God's Word now uh, from Acts, Acts chapter uh, 13. Um, And come on in, please, Curtis, so I can see you. Curtis is going to read to us. Curtis, do I drop this down a bit? Does that make it easier for you? Go for it. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Persia in Phamphalaia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Persia and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during this day in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for forty years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them the land as an inheritance. All this took about four hundred and fifty years. And after that, he gave them judges, until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be the king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a saviour, Jesus Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming. The sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which were read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you good news, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as to the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in the way, this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David, Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let the Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But him who God raised up did not see corruption. Lest it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that though this man forgiveness, that through this man forgiveness of sin is reclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. 
Beware therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about you. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work you will not believe even if one tells you to you. As they went out, the people begged that those things might be told them for the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a life for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews indicated the devout woman of high standing, and the leader of men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Curtis, thank you. Brad, come down, please. Here we go. Um, if you didn't open a Bible while Curtis was reading, grab one now. Um, even open it up on your tablet or phone. Uh, follow along as Brad teaches us. Thanks, Brad. Thank you, Walt. And thanks, Curtis, for leading us then. Friends, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, know that we need to be nourished, not just with what we ate this morning, but that we come to your word to be nourished by it. Lord, I pray and ask, please, that you would uh, build us up in our faith. I pray that you would confront us of sin. I pray that, Lord, you would lead us in your righteousness more and more as we look at your word now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I'm going to confess to you right now that I don't actually like documentaries, and I understand that maybe some of you do like documentaries, uh, but I'll tell you, every now and then I'll be flicking around the TV and I come across a documentary that catches my attention, and I won't be able to help but to watch it. The reason I don't like documentaries is because uh, it it just deals with the, the everyday parts of someone's life. Maybe you like reading people's diaries, soldiers' diaries, you know, maybe a behind-the-scenes story about the Queen, whatever it is, we do have a fascination sometimes with the in-between bits of people's lives, don't we? Every now and then, well, maybe all of the time, we like to know not just the big things that happen, but the in-between things, the things that fill in the everyday parts of people's lives. Because to be honest, there is something fascinating to know about what happens, not just on stage, but behind the scenes. What do people do? How do they fill in the time in between? Uh, 
we in Gundawindi have been going through the book of Acts. Sorry for you with no context, just getting Acts. But it is a, uh, it's a story. It's a, an account of lots and lots of big upfront moments where big things happen. There are big speeches. So we read that there. We heard. So a big chunk of that was just Paul and Barnabas speaking. It was, verse 16 to 41, was the message. You essentially just heard a sermon right then as the Bible was read. There's lots and lots of that. But here today in our passage, we just get a couple of little hints, a couple of little glimpses as to what's going on behind the scenes. A couple of little tiny things about what it looks like in the in-between, in the everyday. Uh, We see a week, actually, a week in the life of these gospel ministers, uh, church planning missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, and what happens in Antioch. Uh, So we're going to look at three bits. We'll look at this in three parts. Number one, we'll look at the gospel of every day. We'll look at the gospel in every day and we'll look at the everyday cost of the gospel. Three things. The gospel of every day, the gospel in every day and the the everyday cost of the gospel. Before we dive in, I will say uh, our boys, they're in a place called Antioch. They are getting to the ends of the earth. In In the beginning of Acts, Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the capital city. In Judea, kind of the countryside, in Samaria, to the people we don't like, and beyond the ends of the earth. They are getting toward the ends of the earth. To make it a little tiny bit confusing, if you know the book of Acts, there's two places called Antioch. There's Antioch, the church that sent them, uh, and then, so that's it, Syrian Antioch, and then today there's Antioch in uh, in Pisidia. It's a bit like uh, one of the churches that I uh, look after is in Inglewood. I think there's an Inglewood in every state in Australia. So there's lots and lots of Antiochs. Uh, It's named after a famous bloke's dad. That's why they're in another Antioch. They get to Antioch and they, uh, they, they speak Uh, They get up and they speak to the synagogue. This is what they normally do. They go to um, the the synagogue and they speak from the Old Testament. Uh, In Gundawindi, we've been talking about what are the bare bones of the gospel. What's the common thread that no matter what happens, no matter which apostle stands up throughout the book of Acts, what are the common parts? If you boil it right down, what are the stick frames of the gospel? If you know about building, what are the stick frames of the gospel? And so here we see that they actually, they use this. They speak about these bare bones. There was a lot said, a lot quoted. It's a really complex speech that he gives, sermon that he gives. But there's some things that we can go, oh, this is common. So, first thing, uh, if you were to build a stick frame, thing that's been throughout all of the talks in Acts, it's that God's at work. This is God's world. He owns history and he is driving towards something. He's saying that there is stuff happening all over the place, even in Antioch. And it is God that is bringing about a newness, a new king coming. So that's what he's saying. First of all, God's at work. When he quotes the Old Testament, he's saying God's been at work for a long, long time. You open up the Old Testament. God was at work back then, working toward what he's doing now. The second part, the second stick frame, the bare bones, is that he'll speak a name. And so it's not just that God's at work generally, he's at work specifically through someone, through Jesus. And so he talks about the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. 
Wherever these blokes go, they talk about Jesus. Sounds really obvious, but that's what happens. God's at work. He sent Jesus to restore all things. And this is where it starts to cut. And the third part is he'll say that involves you. It involves you, Lot. You think that you don't need to have anything to do with Jesus or maybe the Old Testament God, but you do. You too need to respond to that. That's what he says. It requires audience participation. And that's what he does in verse 38. Here's what the call to respond looks like to these group of people in a synagogue in Antioch, ends of the earth Antioch. What's he tell them? He says, Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. So understand, he's speaking to a bunch of people in a synagogue. These are overachieving Jews. These are people who think that they need to get it right before God. They want themselves, when God looks at Antioch, they want God to look at that synagogue of those Jews, Jews of ethnicity and of convert, and go, ah, that's my people. Tick. They are right with me. That's the way they are viewing it. Now, it is right, it is good. It's a good instinct to go, I want to be right before God. That's a really healthy one for all of us to have. It's just the way you get there. Um, I wonder if you too understand that feeling of being a good citizen, an upright citizen in Gundawindi, where they put the speed cameras, is sometimes a little bit predictable. And so um, I I don't get caught very often. Uh, But you know those times when you drive past a speed camera and you know you're doing the speed limit. The sense, sense of being an upright citizen right then. There's a righteousness that comes with that. Maybe you know that feeling when you're like, yes, I am doing the right thing here right now. Yes, that's true. These are a group of people that want that feeling, desire that feeling. There's a whole other feeling if you're not doing the right thing. But these are people who want that feeling, that standing before God. And Paul is letting them know that that righteous status, that place before God, yes, it's good to seek after, but there's a way in which you need to get to it. There's a difference in the way in which you get it, a a quality that you need to possess in order to get it. And it's by placing, it's not by your work, it's not by getting everything right, it's not by being able to say, look at my life, it is all lined up and good. It's actually a different quality. It's a quality instead of faith, of laying your life and your loyalty before at Jesus' feet. It's believing in him that he actually undoes sins that keep us from being righteous. To add to the metaphor, if we are driving past a speed camera doing the right, the right speed, but we had just stolen the Prime Minister's you know, car, Are we righteous? No, we're not. We might be doing the right thing, but there's a whole quality that's wrong with us. Paul's saying there's a depth of sin for you lot in Antioch, for us here in Toowoomba, that the law of Moses can only reveal, it can't heal it. He's saying you need a new, qualitatively different solution for your righteousness, an atonement, a covering. You need someone to do it for you. We need, to put it in church language, a justification that comes through faith, not righteousness by works.
And Paul says there's good news. He's been offered. There is someone that can do that. Paul is also going to say, I'm correcting you lot in the synagogue this morning. He's going to say that I am adjusting something that you've been quite busy, held quite dearly. You've been really, really busy, sweating, careful to keep the law of Moses, and he's going to say that you've got that wrong. He's saying, don't let that get up your nose, though. Don't let that correction put you off. Make sure when you hear about Jesus, you have a soft heart that allows you to receive him and, yes, be righteous before God. That's why he quotes the Old Testament in verse 40 and 41. He says, take care what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish. I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. It's interesting, this good news, the gospel, the fact that God comes to earth, walks on our earth, dies our death, rises again, it's a little bit unbelievable. Don't you love that the gospel of Jesus Christ is described in words that it's almost unbelievable that this would happen to us? It's almost hard to imagine that God would do something like that. That he would die for your sin. That he would offer to give his righteousness to us. It's a gift that's unheard of, actually. And he tells them, don't be upset by that. Don't let that get up your nose, receive it. And so for us... Everyday gospel, the gospel in the everyday, let's linger a moment on that gift. I wonder if the hardest thing for us to believe, there's a lot of hard to believe things in the Bible. If you read it, there's some, there's some big things, some fantastic things that happen. But the hardest thing in the everyday life for you to believe is probably not so much was there a worldwide flood, probably not so much virgin birth, probably not so much miracles. The problem thing in the, in the nitty-gritty of your life, the hardest thing for you to believe, for me to believe, as that indeed my righteousness doesn't come from my contribution. Because I really, really want that. I want that each day when I get up. I want to be the one that's in charge of that. And the gospel tells us no. No, it's been gifted to us. And so depending on what happens for you every day, maybe you get up and you are kind of proud of your achievements. I have done lots. I am quite a holy person. Or we need to hear the gospel. All is gift. It's gifted to us. When we feel low, I haven't been able to do this well, Well, we need to remember, all is gift. When you feel pushed around by the people around you, needing to keep them happy, no, remember, Jesus has given a gift to you. You don't need to fear people. They don't get the ultimate verdict because Jesus gives it. When we feel too ashamed, when we think we have done things that are far too bad for God to forgive, forgiveness is gifted to us. You might go through all of those things before lunchtime. In the everyday, the believable, the almost unbelievable thing of the gospel is that Jesus gifts us with righteousness. You don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. That's why it's amazing grace. God is looking not for attention seekers, but grace receivers. That's the first thing for us to know. Don't be offended by the gospel, even us who have heard it again and again and again. The gospel is of the everyday, of the everywhere. As these blokes are going to the ends of the earth, and here we are in Australia, 
2022, the gospel is a gift. It's good news to us. Paul says this, drops the mic, finishes up the talk at that stage. And so then we go from what is the gospel, now is where we start to see the gospel in every day. What happens next? Uh, Just keep in mind, Paul and Barnabas, they are church-planting missionaries. They want to roll into town. They want to see people come to know Jesus. They want to be able to see a church established and they want to head off to the next town. That's what they're doing. They'll, they'll actually make a big circuit and then they'll come back around, put on some leaders, elders in the church and hope that it keeps going, pray that it keeps going. That's what they're up to. These are blokes who are taking Jesus' words in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations really seriously. The meeting is over. Before the meeting's over, they're invited again back next week. This is good news. If you're a church planning missionary, you've got another gig the next week. It's good. Uh, And then we read that afterwards, though, in verse 43, many Jews and converts follow Paul and Barnabas. This too is good. People want to know more afterwards. They go back to the local Antioch, you know, chicken shop, super rooster. I've already heard mentioned today already because they're going to be able to answer more questions. Talk some more about this. This is right up Paul and Barnabas' alley. This is exactly what they want. They want to make disciples of Jesus and here's a bunch of people who want to ask questions. And Luke, he only gives us a tiny little summary of what happens. Just one line. But we hear they talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Not a great deal of detail. But what did they do? Well, they talked. They urged. They persuaded. Here's why you should continue on in the grace of God. Here's a bunch of people who have been looking to the Old Testament for answers and they're encouraging them to stay in that. Keep going. Keep looking. Don't let the gospel get up your nose. They're talking and they're urging. Linger in the grace is what they're told. Why do I say this? Because I want to say for us, making disciples, for us in Gundawindi, making disciples is our big thing. That's what we want to get on with. For you too, I can say it's the same here because we have the same Bible. Making disciples. Part of it happens here, me, doing this talky bit, but also part of it is around kitchen tables, in lounge rooms, in the car. It is all of those things. Talking and urging to continue in the grace of God. Uh, I've never done this sort of painting, you know, this sort of painting. I've done plenty of this one. But, you know, uh, we put, I I imagine, look, I'm making this illustration up because I've never done it. Correct me afterwards. But uh, when you put the paint on, it is, it comes out and it is, you know, it sits in its individual places, but during the work of painting, you mix, you merge, you shade, you uh, colour, you make lots and lots of colours, bleed them together, do all of those things. We're actually meant to see that the gospel doesn't just sit here contained, but it's meant to mix and merge in the rest of our life. The service here and lunch there, it's meant to mix and merge. The podcast you're listening to is the conversation later on. Mix and merge. The reading that you have in the morning is to be your prayer at lunch. We are to be people who mix and merge the gospel throughout our lives, throughout each other, 
throughout our homes, throughout our journeys. This is what the gospel is to be. Chicken chops. Gospel in chicken chops too. Uh, one more thing. Let's then look at the, the cost of this everyday gospel, the everyday cost of it. Um, as we read this week, it's shaping up really well. We're told that the whole city turns out. It, it's a big day. But we notice that it goes really sour. It seems to work well. The whole town is there. They want to hear the word of God. It's a big moment. But notice who gets in the way. The Jews get in the way of that. Last week they were warned, don't let this gospel get up your nose. Don't scoff. Don't trip over the grace that's given. And it's funny. It's not that they've come up with good theological arguments against what Paul and Barnabas were saying the week before. It's not as though they've thought about it and went, you know what, actually, no, we want to stick with what we've been taught. It's none of that. Why do the Jews stir up trouble for Paul and Barnabas, the second Sabbath? Well, it's nothing short of just the plain old green-eyed monster. Verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on them. They got invited back last week. It was interesting then... But this week, because you've got a a bigger crowd than we normally do, the show's over for you, Paul and Barnabas. You're cancelled. There are times when you read the book of Acts, oftentimes, sometimes, it's the pagans, it's the Romans who want Paul to clear off. But for the most part, do you know who speaks and acts against the gospel the most? Well, it's the religious people. It's the established faith community. These Jews will actually follow Paul and Barnabas. They will hound this missionary journey the whole way through. There's something in that for us to see, that being the established religious community does have a temptation in that. Paul and Barnabas, what do they do? Well, it seems that they're used to this. They've got a plan, and so I wonder if they could tell things were heating up over the week, and so they pivot. Jews don't want to listen? Okay, we've got a plan B. Presented it to them, and they publicly say, okay, well, you've judged that yourselves are not worthy of eternal life. See you later. And so they quote the Old Testament again, which is essentially quoting to the Jews, saying that we are now going to the Gentiles. And we read in verse 48, they lap it up. They love hearing this good news about Jesus, about God sending Jesus to restore all things. They respond. They rejoice, actually. We're told, how do they respond? They honour the word of the Lord. They give it glory. Those words that the apostles are speaking, they say, these are weighty words for our life. Uh, We're told that the word of the Lord spreads through the whole region. We don't know how long Paul and Barnabas had been there. We're not sure how many times they've spoken the gospel, but it sends tremors all over this place, Antioch. Down in verse 52, we're told that there are disciples. Remember, their mission, the church planning missionaries, it's worked. There are now disciples who are locals of Antioch. Those disciples are filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. It's good news. Good news going on in Antioch. You can imagine if there were emails available at that time, they would send it back to the other Antioch, their sending church. They'd say, we've had a big turnout. The Gentiles have responded. The whole region is talking about the gospel. This is going really, really well. Please keep praying for us. But we also read mixed in throughout all of that, that for Paul and Barnabas, they're going to eventually get kicked out of town. They'll shake the dust off their feet. 
There's a way that's saying even your dust is not worthy to come with us. And so you can imagine those emails too. A bit discouraged actually. The Jews have bad-mouthed us. Things were going well, but the city leaders have been stirred up against us and they want us gone. We're moving out of town tomorrow because it's got too hot here. It's a patchwork, isn't it? These blokes preaching the gospel, good on one hand, difficult on the other. Making lots of disciples, getting kicked out of town. People hear the word and revere it. People threaten to kill us. All sorts of things going on. And in some ways, they're divisive characters, polarising a town. They leave behind the dust among the religious, and they also leave behind rejoicing Gentiles. Making disciples is tough business. Preaching the stick frames of the gospel is tough business. Being witnesses in your town in Toowoomba is costly, tough business. It's divisive. It goes with the territory. Uh, we could say that there, it is difficult to be a Christian and there's a political edge to that. There's a way in which Christians are being silenced. But I don't want to pick up on that today. I want to just talk about the everyday cost of being a follower of Jesus. I want to talk about being considered weird by your friends. I want to talk about making the relationship a little bit awkward because you say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? And maybe that is met with, that's not for me, man. Why would you do that? Or maybe it'll be met with, yeah, okay, maybe I will try that. I want to talk about the the way in which we might get rejected by people. We obviously want to have, you know, Paul and Barnabas did a really good job of sharing the gospel. Lots of tact, very clever, very clear. We too would be like that. But we too are also to just share it with people. Some will respond. Some will want to know more. Some won't want to hear it anymore. Some might not like you again after that. It's difficult to hear, but I would say make up your mind about that. Make up your mind today that there is an everyday cost to being a follower of Jesus. We actually need to pay that. We need to pay it, don't we? If we're going to be churches that make disciples, which we should, we're going to have to deal a little with that cost. Be a little bit uncomfortable. That's the way it's going to be. Jesus tells us, go and make disciples in Matthew 28. And what's the last thing he says? I'm with you to the end of the age. Why does he need to say that? Probably because making disciples is going to be a little bit tough. And so we see, we see here, this gospel This gospel stick frames, God's at work, he's sent Jesus, you need to respond. It travels. It's not just for Jerusalem, not just for Judea, it's for Antioch, it's for Gundawindi, it's for Toowoomba. We see that it is not just the upfront stuff, it's also the chicken shop, table, lounge room conversations too. We see it's actually going to be a little bit costly. Might not always, but it is also going to be like that. Um, Let me finish with this picture though because I think it's encouraging Paul and Barnabas leave they have to but in some ways they're really reckless on this missionary journey if I said I'm going to just travel through a bunch of towns hopefully plant churches leave them after maybe a couple of weeks and not see them again I'll write them letters don't worry you would say I'm not sure about that church planting strategy Brad seems like you don't care quite enough for the people 
They're going to leave behind Gentiles, Gentile converts who are now in towns that have been stirred up so much by the gospel that people want to kill because of it. Paul and Barnabas leave. Why do they do that? Why can they afford to be so reckless? Well, because they know that the gospel now dwells in the everyday of Antioch. Paul and Barnabas know that where they make disciples, Jesus now dwells in that place. Christ dwells there. It's a massive trust that they're putting in God's Holy Spirit that in each of these churches, he lives there. He owns it. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. He's with them always, even to the end of the age. And so they're going to trust that the Spirit dwells. It's, it's funny doing that pulpit swap thing. The Spirit dwells. God's people. St John's. The Spirit dwells among God's people in Gundawini. The Spirit dwells among God's people at Rose City. Everywhere we can trust that God's Spirit is dwelling among us. There's a certain confidence that that's what's going on as they leave. And so, friends, here's my challenge. In the in-between parts of life, in the everyday parts of life, in the very, very ordinary parts of life, we too are to trust that God's Spirit is at work. We're to trust that the Gospel looks the same, has the same bare bones. We're to trust that indeed it will encourage, grow, spur us on, that we are to speak it like that. Little bits, incrementally, quite every day, quite ordinary. That's what God does. Also that it will cost. It'll cost us. That's the way it's going to be. But I wonder if we might, one day, perhaps, see the everyday documentary of what it looked like to be a Christian. In Toowoomba in 2022, we might be proud. We might be able to love seeing that indeed God worked in us in the everyday ordinary parts. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we indeed thank you that you have sent your spirit among us, that you have pressed home the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would do that where it's difficult to believe that indeed righteousness is given freely, that indeed it comes through faith. Lord, for each of us in the everyday, this Sunday, tomorrow, the next day, we might indeed trust and believe that Jesus Christ is sufficient. Please do that in us. Please, Lord, help us to know the gospel well. Help us to speak it and know where to speak the gospel well. Lord, please even help us to make our mind that even where it's costly, we would pay that happily. Pray and ask, please, Lord, dwell with your people. Change them, transform them, make disciples among us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.